The sermon text is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 28. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It has been almost a month since our most recent sermon in this particular series, a series that's about wisdom. We've uh, been a little bit disjointed. I've been away a couple of weeks. So it's been kind of here and there. So let me summarize where we've been briefly before we get back to Colossians. The first sermon was on Proverbs 8 in this series on wisdom, where Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman who is standing at the street corners, at the, street, at the city gates, calling out for all people to listen to her. Uh, wisdom is often personified as a woman, especially in Proverbs. 
In the second sermon, we looked at Isaiah 65, an Old Testament prophet, where God, in all of his perfect wisdom, stands with open arms, waiting for people to turn toward him. The posture of God regarding God's wisdom is always welcoming and inviting people to listen and to come to him. And like I said, in the Old Testament, wisdom is often personified, uh, made to be represented by a a character in, in one story or another. For us as Christians, though, we do not stop with just a personified wisdom. We are shown by the New Testament a personalized wisdom. Not personified, but made a person in the person of Jesus. One who is made our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that we are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. When we talk about following Jesus, we're not just talking about loving Jesus or remembering Jesus or studying this human teacher from a couple of millennia ago. Following Jesus is walking in the path of wisdom incarnate. Wisdom in the flesh. The word that has become flesh and made its dwelling among us. The one who is from before all time and before all things. Following Jesus is no small endeavor. Following Jesus is one of the most important things that we can choose to do because Jesus is the most important one who is. We have known this as Christians from the beginning of our, of our movement 2,000 years ago. In fact, many of the earliest um, debates and, and discussions among early Christian leaders focused on who Jesus actually is, the nature of Jesus, and what was this thing that he did all about. And so they debated this for many, many decades. And that resulted in the creation of what we call the creeds of historic faith. The, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, uh, among others. In the Church of God, we don't, uh, we don't put a whole lot of emphasis on the creeds because uh, we see those as sort of being human creations and we want to go to what scripture says. I still think the creeds are valuable for us to, to be aware of and to know. And in fact, one of them is in our hymnals. It's very sneakily not called a creed because that would be a, you know, a, a offensive word to some folks who really don't like creeds. But that's okay. It's uh, number 327 in your hymnal. It's called an affirmation of faith, which is a good way of saying a creed, because that's what a creed is. It affirms what we believe in a certain instance. And if you, uh, we're not going to read it today, but if you open it up and look at number 327 in your hymnal, you'll see that there are four paragraphs to it. This is the ancient Nicene Creed, written in the 320s or so AD, 1700 years ago now. And there's one paragraph on God the Father, there's one paragraph on God the Son. There's one paragraph on God the Spirit, and then kind of a catch-all paragraph about the church and forgiveness and baptism and other stuff like that. And if you compare the sizes of those four paragraphs, you will see what was really important to them uh, in 320-something. There's 
The God the Father paragraph is really short. God the Spirit, number three, is really short. And the miscellaneous one is really short. And the one on God the Son is super long. It's really big. Bigger than the other three combined. People have been discussing and debating and trying to figure out who Jesus is for a long, long time. About the same time, more or less, that the, that the uh, Nicene Creed was written, in the same ballpark anyway, there was a major debate between two church leaders, Arius and Athanasius. Arius taught that Jesus, the Son of God, was the first creation of God. God created all things, and the first thing he did was he spoke the word into existence. So the word of God was the first thing that God created, and therefore there was a time before that word was created. But Athanasius said, no, this is, this is not good. Uh, there, there should not have ever been a time before the word existed. And Athanasius taught that Jesus, the word of God, has always existed from before all time. And as the debate wore on, people tended toward Athanasius' point of view. And Arius was, ended, ended up uh, being called a heretic. And, you know, as church people do, they excommunicated each other. And it was all lots of fun. But the Orthodox Christian belief from that point on has always been, and by Orthodox I mean universal, all Christians who are in the Christian stream believe this, that Jesus has always been, the Son of God, the Word of God has always existed from before all time and exists now and will always exist. He is dually eternal. Eternity past and eternity future. Jesus has always been. And that is important because of this passage that we find in Colossians 1. It helps us understand what Paul is saying in Colossians 1. Because yes, the first part of the passage that we read today is that yeah, the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So it might sound like that Jesus was created, but as you read the rest of the passage, Athanasius' point of view becomes really clear. Jesus is Lord over all things. Jesus is not just a buddy. Jesus is not just a friend. Jesus is not even just our Savior and Redeemer. He is all of those things. But we settle too quickly a lot of the time when we limit who Jesus is. When we rush into the narrative that says, Jesus died for my sins and only live there, we end up asking the question, what did Jesus do for me? Or what has Jesus done for us? And so we celebrate, oh, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. But Jesus is so much bigger than what's in it for us. Jesus is the supreme one. He is the author of reconciliation. He is the reason for reconciliation. He is the mystery that has been revealed. The hope of glory that dwells within us. You can talk about church or religion or faith until you are blue in the face. You can talk about forgiveness and life and family. You can even discuss social issues or political issues or global events. You can take action in any of these categories that you like. But if Jesus is not supreme over your conversation, if Jesus is not Lord of your perspectives, if Jesus is not drawing you toward his mission and 
purpose of reconciling all things to himself. If Jesus is not your life and your breath and your mind and your hope, then you have more transformation yet to experience in Jesus. And all of us are in that category, needing more transformation in the name of Jesus. We all need more spiritual formation to become more and more like Jesus. Colossians gives us hope for this journey. The mystery of Jesus, the hidden truth that has now been revealed in him, is that Jesus, the wisdom of God, this eternal being, who is Lord of all things, lives in us already and is the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the fascinating things about that language is that the word you is plural. In English, we don't distinguish between you singular and you plural. The word is the same, but many other world languages have different words for you singular and you plural. And the biblical Greek of the New Testament has different words for singular and plural. And this is definitely plural. Christ in you all, the hope of glory. Yes, Jesus lives in my heart and in your singular heart. uh, But Jesus lives in all of us, the body of Christ, together, not separate. The hope of glory has something to do with the unity that we experience in Christ. A unity that the world simply cannot manufacture or maintain or understand. In a world that pulls itself apart at the seams, ushering people into different camps of belief and opinion, the church stands as a a place where people are drawn together and united in spite of their differences otherwise, by their connection to Jesus. The unity, the oneness that we experience in Christ is a direct result of God's ministry of reconciliation. Colossians talks a lot about reconciliation as what God is about. And to reconcile means to restore to friendship or harmony, to settle, to resolve. God's desire in and through Jesus is to bring about reconciliation. To reconcile to himself all things. Things on earth and things in heaven. Everything. The mission of God is not to exclude or send people away, but to include and to draw people close. The mission of reconciliation is only possible because Jesus is above all things. Everything was created by him and for him. In him all things hold together. No wonder that his desire is to reconcile all things to himself. The identity of Jesus as the wisdom of God who is over all tells us about the mission of Jesus, which then inspires us to pursue unity in and with Jesus. Now, God's mission of reconciliation in Christ also informs our pursuit of holiness in Christ. Colossians says that we have uh, th- that God has reconciled us to Himself 
by Christ's physical body through Jesus' death so that we might be presented to God as holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation. In another letter, Paul writes that there is therefore no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We proclaim Christ, the end of this passage in Colossians says, we proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, wisdom who is Christ, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Perfect is a funny word because for some of us that makes us think about perfectionism. And I'm one who kind of tends toward that way, has that streak in me to want to be perfect or to have things just so. Maybe you can resonate with that. But that's not the usage of perfect here. To be made perfect in Christ means to be made complete in Christ, mature in Christ, whole in Christ, reaching the desired end result. That's a lot of the time what perfect means in scripture. This past week, up until yesterday, had been incredibly hot with no rain. You may have noticed this. And we have a vegetable garden out at the parsonage, and those plants were loving the sunshine, but were in desperate need of some water. So I found myself out there watering the garden every once in a while, um, admonishing the plants with water, bathing them with water in the hopes that they will present themselves complete, that they will grow up to full maturity, that they will bear fruit. The tomatoes and the cucumbers and the green beans and the Brussels sprouts that we're hoping to receive, and the peas that we're already receiving. It's wonderful that the plants have been planted and are green and are growing, have been tended, and they're doing fine. The tomatoes are up to the first ring on their little cages, and the green beans are vining up the tripods. It's wonderful that they're doing all of that, but they're not done yet. They have more to go. They have to keep growing until they produce fruit. That's their purpose, to produce fruit. That's the sign and the evidence of their life. At one point in his ministry, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If we remain in him and he in us, then we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The notion of being in Christ is fundamental to our self-understanding as his followers. The goal of being in Christ is that we will grow up in him, that we will mature in him, that we will produce fruit that resembles him and nourishes the world, that we will be made complete and whole, that the hope of glory will dwell within us and among us. That's our purpose. The holiness of life that we can have in Christ is the sign and evidence of our life in Him. Because we are in Christ, our pursuit of wisdom depends on the holiness and unity that we experience in Him. Wisdom is personalized in Jesus. Wisdom is not simply something that you gain automatically as you 
advance in years. There is, of course, human wisdom that we often find and respect in our elders, but biblical wisdom is expressed in the life of Jesus when that life takes root in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. Biblical wisdom draws together, in, draws people together in unity and urges us forward on the path of holiness. Biblical wisdom begins and ends with Jesus, who is supreme over all things, who reconciles all things to himself, who is the mystery revealed to all people, who dwells within those who form his body. Holiness and unity are key theological concepts that undergird who we are as Church of God people. We have been talking and writing about holiness and unity for 130 some years. And to find them lifted up in this very important passage of scripture from Colossians is, is confirmation that God is moving in our midst and calling us to be united and to be a unifying force for his kingdom's sake in this time and to be a holy people that are set apart for his purposes, always being formed more and more closely after his image. So friends, pursue the wisdom of Christ. Ponder holiness and unity. Study the life and ministry of Jesus. Allow yourself to be spiritually formed by Christ. Release and reject all forms of hatred and bigotry and division and exclusion and separation. Any of the efforts that people make which go against God's desire to make peace through the blood of Christ. God's desire to reconcile all things to himself. Contemplate the mystery, which is Christ in you all, the hope of glory. Let the wisdom of God draw you closer and closer to him and to others, today and tomorrow and always. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are our wisdom and that in you all things hold together. Hold us together and make us one. And make us holy, people that are filled with your spirit, filled with your purpose, filled with your life. Give us grace that we might turn from the things that would divide and that would stain. Help us always to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter, finisher, completer of our faith. And grow us up that we might produce fruit that is useful for your kingdom. These things we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord, and only hope. And all of God's people said, Amen.